God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome back to another episode of Family Discussion. It's great to be with you. My name is Marcus Ortega, and as always, I am joined by the lovely Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you doing today? Um, lovely. It's been a lovely week. We've got a lot of snow here in Roanoke, and I live in a very hilly area. So if you put two and two together, um, that means there was some uh, walking up on, on some hills um, because I could not get my vehicle up streets um but that's okay but at least i got some steps in so there's that okay all right that's the steps are good the steps are good and snow steps are like they're they're like steps on steroids because (laughs) snow steps are are heavy and slippery and you gotta be super careful so you got snow steps in that's a big deal it got snow steps in and i felt it the next day but the good news is that the uh uh, Virginia Department of Transportation, who does the snow plowing uh, in our area, because we're outside of the city, um, they came uh, by a third time, and third time was the charm. So that cleared out the streets, and uh, all is well. And it looks, you know, and there's just something about when the streets are cleared, but the snow is still there on the side. It's not a mess like you're trying to drive through it. Um, but it just makes it, it looks very pretty. It's, you know, everything's white and it's just, um, you know, it, it's pretty. But, you know, as long as I can drive, I'm, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> well, there you go. I mean, we, we had uh, that same snow system came through and hit New York. And, um, you know, it, it actually wasn't as bad as it was way up over in Buffalo, Syracuse area. That They got hammered. They got absolutely slammed. We didn't get slammed like that. We, we had some snow, but, you know, it is what it is. I think what was um, rougher was two days ago, we got just a little bit. We just got like an inch or two of snow come through. And when we did, they hadn't prepared the roads, which was super helpful because they didn't give us a delay, like a uh, school delay. And I got Uh these little ones, right? And so I had to figure out how to get my kids to school while um, kill, not killing everybody, slipping and sliding all down the road, or that they didn't prepare or myself. Yeah. Yeah. They they didn't they didn't salt. They hadn't been out plowing yet, and it hit right at like school starting. Uh, so everybody's trying to get there all at once. It was disastrous, but we made it. We got through. Kids got to school. Everybody was good. Glad you're doing okay over there in Virginia. Um, we are going to build off of last week's conversation and we're going to talk about um, the way that the fall impacts the image of God. Um, There are those who would say the image of God is outright destroyed 
by the fall. Um, what we're going to not really spend a lot of time defending. We just want people to know where we're coming from on this. We would say that the image of God is not destroyed, but instead is distorted by the fall. Do you think that's fair, Lisa, that it's a, it's a I, distorted you know, image? I think that's fair, and that is the impact of sin. And I think that compels us to go back a few episodes, you know, and look at what are the characteristics of the image of God, right? So you have the, you know, the rational, you know, the fact that, you know, sin has impacted our ability. We, we still, we still can reason, but now we, we see through a glass dimly. We see through, you know, some distorted prisms because of the impact, right? Um, we, you know, we can get, we can get things, you know, in, in terms of how we reason, it could be oriented in such a way that it's, it's not reflective of God's goodness. And yet that image, you know, when God said, let us make man in our image, it, you know, there is still a reflection. And I think that's a tension we need to live with. Um, and even, even with Christians, I mean, of course, we can say that, uh, and that's why I would say everybody, right? Um, and that, it, to me, that's one of, the, um, one of the goals of wisdom, you know, is learning to discern good from evil, right? Even from the world, right? Because we know that there is, you know, that he, there, there are humans, they may be apart from the Father, but can produce good things. Um, and we need to be discerning about that and not be so dismissive because it comes from, you know, a secular source. You know, what is this, what is this actually communicating and how does that relate to, you know, the character of God, what he has said in his word? Um, and that takes some work. Sometimes it's not, you know, it, it's not, easy and if we just you know readily dismiss those things then it's you know we're i don't think that we're being being as faithful as we need to be i i think you're absolutely right and you know what strikes me lisa is that common grace as a doctrine is connected to our understanding of the image of God. That this is a part of, this is why God shows us a common grace that he doesn't necessarily show the rest of creation. This is part of what what um, distinguishes us from the animal kingdom, for mm -hmm. example. And so to have a conscience is part of God's common grace that maybe we see echoes of in like a, a dog who knows that he's done something wrong and is going to be mm -hmm. in trouble for it, right? But a true conscience that we have to wrestle with or that we can sear through our sin, um, that is God's common grace to his people that is due to us being made in his image. And um, in addition to that, a biblical thing that I think is helpful to demonstrate that the image of God continues is actually found after the, um, after the flood when God tells Noah that um, if uh, you shed a man's blood, then also by man your blood will be shed because you have killed an image bearer. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily, you know, 
we don't want to go straight from there into American public policy around the death penalty, right? But right. but I think like, as some people Let's will not. just try and draw <laughs> a straight line. Um, but what I think um, it does for us is it shows us that after the flood, after the flood, we still have the image of God. So it's not even just after the fall, but after we see the fall culminate in the flood and in the destruction of all of humankind, the image of God remains. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's important for us as we are talking through some of uh, these issues around race, sexuality, gender, the disagreements that are there, the uh, the way that the fall has distorted our approach to these things. We must never forget that everyone we're speaking of is made in God's image, and that should mitigate our speech. And I know before we were talking uh, before we started recording, Lisa, you were talking about the importance of, of our speech. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that even a distorted image in an image bearer should temper our tongues. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then, you know, when you look at the other categories, um, so another one was, you know, had to do with moral obligation, Right. Um, the fact that we, you know, image bearers reflect God's glory when we're reflecting his morality, his, his, you know, moral character, which, you know, obviously gets very distorted. And especially when it, you know, when there is um, contradictory thinking on a, you know, on a, in a group, in a, uh, in the culture. Um, for lack of a better word, um, that, you know, that infests, because listen, we talked about this, and I think I mentioned this last episode, that we can't just stop at, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, us individually, then how does that impact how we, um, when that dynamic gets together, you know, in a in a in a group dynamic, right? How does that in how can that infest a whole society, a whole culture, a whole philosophy of thought? And no other place that I see that happening than with what's happened with the history of race. Mm. Right? And I may be jumping ahead because I know we have another category and that has to do with relationships, but um, you know, we, we do well not to just stop at how has this impacted the individual, right? The individual's way of thinking, but when a lot of individuals get together and start thinking the same way, um, then that is what, you know, then you have evil amplified. Well, and, and I mean, let's just take it there, right, to this next category of relationships, because I think that is key, and, and that is where we get to the distortion um, uh, the way that racism is a distortion of our understanding of the image of God. Our ability to relate to one another is clearly distorted. We see this in the relationship between Adam and Eve. The, the togetherness, the oneness that they're experiencing in the garden is immediately fractured um, in, in that the blame game begins with them and, and between them. There is a, um, the, I call it a fall effect, an effect of the fall placed on the relationship. There is a fall effect of power dynamic that is introduced 
into the marital relationship here where there will be constant struggle and strife within the marriage as a part of the curse. It doesn't have to be that way, but it is something to be aware of. You know, when I do uh, premarital counseling with folks, I say, listen, y'all might um, really get along really well right now. And praise God for that. I pray that that continues for the entirety of your marriage. But understand that there is something within marriage that is like tripped as you enter into marriage, like a, like a circuit breaker is tripped. And now you may have conflict over things you've never had before. And that is a result. That is a result of the fall of Adam and Eve. And, and it doesn't mean you have to give into that. It just means be aware of that coming in, right? The relational dynamics have been changed. That's between individuals that has been demonstrated again and again between people groups. Mm -hmm. um, and so I wonder, Lisa, as we, we get into the way that our understanding of the image of God has gotten distorted around race, um, would you just walk us through maybe some biblical examples first of how this shows up? Maybe the relationship um, between Egyptians and and the Jewish people, or the relationships in the church and the multi ethnic. We we don't want to just say this was introduced in the United States. So where do we see this in the scriptures? Oh my goodness! It is. I mean, it is all over Scripture, right? How does one group of people think about another group of people um right in the next book over you hit the nail on the head once we get to exodus and looking at what happens you know how it's described in um you know the the relationship between the egyptians and the people of israel right there was the you know king rose up who who did not know joseph and now all of a sudden these people um, you know, who were very numerous by that time were considered a threat. Why? You know, and that's a question we have to ask, like, why? Um, you know, they were going about doing their business, but just the mere presence of this different group of people um, was considered, was it considered threat enough that now we have to subjugate this group of people so that they don't overtake us, so that we stay in charge. Um, and that is, you know, the, the, the con even with, you know, and I've often said like, it's, it's important to know like the cultural backdrop of, of scripture, you know, war uh, between nations was just the way of life. You know, we see it in, you know, in scripture, especially in terms of the lands that uh, the land that needed to be conquered. Um, we see it when, um, you know, when the people of Israel are being threatened by outside enemies and eventually taken over. Right. The northern kingdom, um, you know, fell first and then, um, you know, and then the southern kingdom taken away to Babylon. Um, and that is all about we're we need to make sure that our group dominates well and i mean it is this this power dynamic um writ large between people groups right it is he literally says it the pharaoh if i'll, I'll just read it mm -hmm. um from exodus one 
Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. It is a fear that the people of Israel are going to be the end of the Egyptian dynasty. And so, in order to subjugate them, they have to first dehumanize them. Hmm. It, it is very difficult to subjugate somebody that you see as your equal. Mm-hmm. First, you have to see them as less than you. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you see them as less than you, what you've done is you've done violence to the image of God in them. Mm -hmm. We, the image of God being distorted in us, the way that the, that the, the, um, the way that the fall has distorted the image, the reason why it's important we say it hasn't destroyed the image is because while it's been distorted by sin, Dignity and value and worth and equality between peoples is a part of the image. It's a part of what God has baked into us. A distortion does not give us license to subjugate people be as if they don't have that same image on us. And so, how do they dehumanize the Israelites? They put them to hard labor. Mm -hmm. They treat them like they are pack animals, like they are cattle. They treat them like their livestock. Mm -hmm. That dehumanization gives them the right now to say we are superior because we are of a different kind of mm -hmm. human than them. Mm -hmm. So it starts, the, the, the subjugation starts with a denial of the image of God. And, and we don't want to allow our theological acknowledgement that the image has been distorted mm -hmm. to lead us now into a denial of that image because as soon as you did that subjugation is right behind it right right and i think another example is um you know you look at the the tension between um david and saul right and how saul um you know i'm reminded of i think it's i believe it's in second samuel um is it six where, you know, Saul, maybe it's before that, when, you know, David is coming, um, the people they're singing, you know, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has tens of thousands. And then Saul, knowing that he has been removed from the kingdom, and then, you know, jealousy takes over. Um, and so his, um, you know, his motivation is, is to really do harm, to, you know, to do away um, to do away with David. And even though that's not necessarily a group dynamic, when, you know, just think about what happens when that kind of thinking, you know, infests a whole, uh, you know, a whole culture, a whole people group, right? These people are, you know, and, and it could just be envy. We don't want these people to be greater than us. Right. Just like that was reflected in what you just read in Exodus. Therefore, we need to put them in their place. Um, and then the dehuman, you know, and the de dehumanization um, begins. So and, you know, another place I see that I'm jumping to the New Testament is with the Pharisees. Right. Mm, okay. And they had they had, you know, and the justification was that they had the law behind them. Right. They were seeking to do the right thing, but in seeking to do the right thing that, you know, there was a dehumanization with those that were, you know, theoretically 
um, out outside um, of you know of of where things were supposed to be. So um, you know, so we see that there as well. Well, I think I mean you're hitting on another way that we dehumanize, right? So so the um, the Egyptians dehumanized the Israelites through um, strength weakness type of power dynamics mm -hmm. the power dynamic of the pharisees and the power the power dynamic that paul and peter are pushing against in in their letters and in the um in, in the old test in the new testament are moral immoral mm -hmm. that group's just immoral mm -hmm. it's not that they're weak it's that they're wicked and so we're going to treat them as if they're not made in the image of God because of their wickedness. And this is how the Gentiles were often treated by uh, sects, factions within Judaism. Like we want to be careful when we're talking about the about Judaism in the New Testament. We're looking predominantly at the Jewish leaders. We're not looking at like this isn't some sort of um, license towards anti-Semitism or anything like that. This was a, right. a group of Jewish leaders who were using morality as a way to dehumanize others by saying we are the moral ones you are the immoral ones and and we are the followers of the law you are not the followers of the law we follow dietary restrictions you eat whatever you want like it is it was a way of using morality to dehumanize others mm -hmm. and and i really think that that has shown itself in in some um in american history as well because when subjugation changed, when it was no longer um, the enslavement of African Americans, what came quickly behind that was the stigmatization mm -hmm. and the fetishization of African Americans. Say, see, they're exotic, they're strange, mm -hmm. and wicked, prone mm -hmm. to wickednesses that we aren't prone to because we are moral and they are immoral it's the same concepts that were in the scriptures the scriptures routinely speak against because it's all a denial of image yes and you know i just i'm sorry i just <laughs> i just had a thought on that um in terms of you know when we look at the history of again the history of race the history of slavery in this country and how so much of it was backed by the church by you know those who um you know proclaimed the gospel but on the other hand could have this notion because of um you know ideology like the curse of ham right. um you know that people who were bought from africa were considered savages and often referred to as savages um that it you know that that mindset of you know one people group against the other that said okay you are not really made in the image of god like us right right and and the abuses that came from that were were horrific and profound and um because of our own history in the united states of of uh, the depth of racism that was here for so long. Mm -hmm. uh, you made a good point, I think, Lisa, um, or, uh, on Martin Luther King Day. You made a point to say we, we, we dishonor Dr. King's legacy when we don't recognize that there has been improvement. There has been change. And, and so what I, I think would be also helpful is 
while there has been sorry my cat's losing her mind back here so if people are hearing that that's what that is um i thought it was my cat for a minute oh no that's but mine he's, he's actually behaving himself <laughs> mine's not behaving my cats are kittens and so they don't know how to behave yet okay. they're just they're just out of their minds um I, th I think when we're talking about the legacy of the civil rights movement, um, we can be mistaken in saying nothing has changed over the last couple hundred of years. There, there's two ditches. We can get to the point and say, well, the civil rights movement, that happened. It's done. There's no more need to talk about these things. Racism is over. Systemic racism is a thing of the past. All of that. Or we can reckon the other ditch of saying nothing's different. We're still fighting the same fight. Um, so here's the question that I have. Because there has been improvement, can there be an eradication of this kind of racism? Why and why not? I guess and would I be think the, for the question. The, it, it, and it goes to the heart of what this episode is about. Because of the impact of the fall. We are not going to see that type of eradication until Jesus comes back. Um, but I, here's a point that I want to make about race, because I know right, right now we like racism, it, you know, it's a term that gets thrown around um, at the heart. And, and, and there's been some redefinitions, which I don't quite agree with, but that's for another episode. Right. But at the heart of when you look at the history of race, right, because the Bible, like we can't look at race in the Bible because it was non-existent, right? There were, you know people from different ethnicities this is to me this is one of the beauties of when you look at the at the uh, description of pentecost right in acts chapter two and it identifies these people from all of these different places and guess what all of these different places came with their you know own specific culture but yet they came together for a single purpose i think that that's that's a beautiful picture but the concept of race that is a social construct it was devised, and especially with the development of America, it was devised specifically around this notion that there is a white race and there is a black race, and the white race is is better. This this is the race that is superior, um, and so, but not the black race, not the Asian race. Um, and so those, you know, those classifications were actually a way to create a hierarchical thinking about how one group looks at another group. And that vision was so pervasive, you know, it, it, it um, led to American chattel slavery. While I'm on it, I'm going to, on a side note, because this is something that drives me nuts is this comparison, right? Well, people look at slavery in the Bible. What about uh, Philemon? Okay, under the Roman system, you, slaves in Rome were slaves because of territories that were conquered, which was not based on race. It wasn't based on ethnicity. It was based on Rome wanting to conquer territories. And people were taken as prisoners of war. There was also... You know, it, it was also a class issue, right? So slaves were essentially indentured servants. Um, they're actually, if you look at the the way that slaves were allowed to live, 
under the Roman system, there was a lot of latitude. I mean, they had professional jobs. They, they were educated. So we need to dispense of this notion that what happened in America was the same as what happened under the Roman system. It was not the same because what happened in America was one people group was looked at as inferior and the only fitting lot for them was that subjugation, specifically because of this false construct of race. So there are ways, and yes, I think that there's been a lot of improvement, some um, in some ways more than what some are willing to admit. Um, but when I think of the history of race and racism and how that continues, it, it may not be as overt as, oh, we think that this, these people are descendants of the curse of hand. But it can be more subtle, as in, oh, we don't really think that that form of preaching is godly because it's of a culture that doesn't fit within this norm, right? Somebody told me just recently that they, um, they were in a, in, uh, it was a church service where there was a Mexican preacher who, I mean, just delivered beautifully the word of God. And somebody, and she overheard somebody saying, he would be a really good preacher if he'd lose the accent, <laughs> right? And it's it's that, it's oh, that, man, yeah. that type of thinking, right? When we think that one group, there's, there's a superior way that belongs to one group versus the other group. And I think those are, that's the kind of, that's the kind of racism that we need to tackle today in the church, um, and uh, which unfortunately, unfortunately, still exists. Does it exist to the extent that it has before? No, and I think that there's evidence of that. Just look at attitudes towards interracial marriage, right? Where I think in um, at the time of the Loving decision yeah. in 1967 was like four percent. Um, Whereas it's like closer to what, 90% now that, you know, there's in terms of, you know, percentage of people yeah. surveyed that, you know, that are accepting of interracial, uh, interracial marriage. And of course, you know, lately we've had this big push on diversity, equity, inclusion, you know, you can't even watch TV without, you know, there, you know, that being displayed in terms yeah. of just a diverse yeah. group of people. So I think there, there's been a lot of change in attitudes, but in terms of the subtle ways that you know that that you know that racist kind of thinking can come up, that's something we need to pay attention to and be on guard. You know, not to beat up people over the head, but you know, sometimes there still are blind spots. There, they're blind spots to what has happened with the history of race in this country, right? Why was it? <laughs> you look at right, Reconstruction. Right. I often have this, you know, I go through this mind exercise. What would have happened if Reconstruction was allowed to continue? Right. Yes. Right? Amen. But, it, but, but why did Reconstruction stop? It stopped because one group of people deemed another group of people uh, insufficient to, to, to be able to thrive. They did not want to see this other group thrive. And there was in that short period of time during the Reconstruction period, 
you know, there were definitely advancements that were being made, but a one group of people rose up and said, no, we're, we won't let you do that. And then what proceeded from that was just a, you know, a deeply entrenched um, system of segregation and subjugation. You know, I, I think as, as we talk about the subtle forms of racism that um, would would keep us from seeing the seeing others as made in the image of God and, and a, a devaluing and there are it, 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 those insidious things in our own hearts that we need to be rooting out. I think this is where um, you will hear people talking about the subtleties within policy and within structures that are also there. Um, you know, just as racism in in human hearts was not put to bed in the 60s and 70s, so too there are those things within policies and structures that have to be taken care of. Because the question is not, um, is the policy or the structure created for explicitly racist reasons? There can be policies and things put in place that have um, racist outcomes or that can affect the races in, in disparate ways that dehumanize, that, that ignore the image of God. So let me give an example from a while ago. Uh, this is an example that is regular given. The war on drugs and the way that drug enforcement um, sentencing overwhelmingly uh, hurt black and Latino populations in ways that it did not hurt white populations. Um, that's just an, an example. Was it an explicitly racist law? Not explicitly, but it was written in a way that there would be racist outcomes. Um, and so mandatory minimums were finally, you know, the mandatory minimums around crack and, and powder cocaine, for example, was a very popular example of this. Um, those were done away with because the the results of them were dehumanizing to a group of people and and i think that this is something you know I, i'm using policy in, the, in a national sense let's bring it into the church and just ask the question I, I don't have an answer but at least let's ask the question do we have policies and procedures that lead to dehumanization do we have things within our theology that would dehumanize black and brown brothers and sisters? Do we have things that we think are biblical theological principles that are actually not biblical theological principles, but are preferences based on culture that otherwise dehumanize black and brown brothers and sisters? I think these are just questions that we need to be asking. If, if, the, if racism can still reside within the human heart, and if racism can still res can still reside within structures and policies and nations, wouldn't we also say that they can exist within the church? And should not should we not be on guard? And should we not be on the lookout for where we see racism raising its head? And shouldn't shouldn't we want to crush it? Uh, it's the resistance within the church that can be especially surprising, um, and especially problematic. So I, I don't know if you have anything to say to that, Lisa, but it, it just strikes me that. Ooh. There is a trajectory here that we want to be aware of. 
Yeah, and I think it's just tri- it's just tricky these days because you know when you make you're right we should be on guard but then it, I think it get, does get tricky when we talk about the larger political landscape the larger um, you know we talk about policies um, but, you know because there is and I'm gonna say this real quickly um, you know there in terms of when you look at the the history of you know black people in america um you know coming out of slavery jim crow redlining so what is the what is the best way forward for black people to thrive and there's two main streams of thought it's well there's been subjugation so therefore we have to provide equity um you know to rectify this injustice and then the other line of thinking is yes there has been you know, injustice, but the path forward is to provide opportunity. Um, and so that's, you know, and when you put a political framework on that, it's the, you know, difference between, you know, a progressive way of thinking and conservative way of thinking. But at the heart of it, we have to ask is, you know, is the intention for black people to thrive? And I would say, as long as that is the case, you know, we can have our differences um, with, and I know you and I disagree on that. I think one way you think the other way. Um, but the, the way forward is, okay, let's, let's make sure, especially when we, we talk about the church, right? And we're supposed to grow together in the Lord and we're supposed to, you know, be this body that reflects the, you know, the, the glory of Jesus. Um, and so we want to, yeah, we definitely want to address the things that keep us from doing that. But what we don't want to do is impose some larger conversations and interject that into the fellowship of the saints, especially since, you know, our grid, the grid that we need to be looking through um, as we look to scripture is the fact that Jesus's kingdom is not of this world, that he has called the people um, together for himself and set up his own paradigm. Like we don't follow the dictates of the world, right? And if anything, we're supposed to be influencing, you know, the world with, you know, with the kingdom of Christ. Um, so that, I just think that when it comes to that, we, it's it, especially today because the, the race conversation is so much out there, you know, in, in the broader culture and, the focus on it, it's, it's very easy to impose some, again, distort, we talked about distortions. It's, a, it's very easy to impose some distortions and interject that into the church. And so it, it, it again, it's tricky. It takes some, um, one, it takes, you know, just paying attention to your own heart, right? Let's look at the log in our own eye before we're trying to uh, you know, deal with the speck in somebody else's eye. Now, you know, is my heart right about this? Mm-hmm. Right? Am mm-hmm. I being influenced the right or wrong way about how I'm seeing this scenario in the church? Um, and then, you know, and, and working together for, you know, based on scripture, you know, to strive for that, you know, for the bonds of peace. And what, however, you know, whatever that takes, to do that and sometimes it does mean you know having some hard conversations sure. and being uncomfortable 
But it is about maintaining this bond of peace. I, yes. I think that that's key. And it's because it's a bond that has been gifted to us. It is purchased mm -hmm. for us by Christ. And it is, it, it, we are bound in this. Um, the bond of peace is given to us by the Holy Spirit because of what Christ has accomplished. We ought to be pursuing unity and peace. Uh, it's why I'm still a believer in the multi-ethnic church. I know that it's, it's falling out of vogue right now. But I, I still believe in the beauty of the multi-ethnic church because it is a, it is a, a demonstration of the bond of peace that all peoples have in Christ. And and I think we as the church, the image of God distorted, yes, sin still a thing, yes, we are now being fashioned more and more into the image of Christ. And as we are, we ought to be, um, yes, on guard against, against uh, racist ideologies and racist presuppositions and all that that's there, but we also ought to be proactively moving towards one another in love for the sake of the kingdom um it's different than witch hunting i i think that that's something that we've seen right we've we've mm -hmm. gone from being on guard against racism to being um to witch hunting just as like there's the the crt witch hunt is real there's also the racist witch hunt that's real that we got to be really careful about it's it's moving towards each other in love to 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 display the kingdom and the bonds of peace that are there. Uh, Lisa, we're running out of time. I wonder, do you have any last words for us before we, uh, we take off into next week? No, just, you know, just be mindful. Um, you know, we started this talking about the image of God and how it's, how it's been distorted. And we, you know, we tend to think, uh, okay, so we've been made new creations and therefore we're not, you know, subject to, we're not influenced by old ways of thinking. Uh, we can be. And so we need to be on guard of that. You know, so what is, what is, what does the word of God say about who we are? Who, how are we supposed to look at the other? How are we supposed to treat the other person? Right. Am I looking at this person as someone who made in the image of God? We can, you know, we like to point fingers at the world. Well, they're unregenerate. So, of course, they don't. But yeah, we can be subject to that kind of thinking, too. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lisa, for that. And thank you all for listening today. That's it for today from Family Discussion. We're very excited to see you next week. So come back then, won't you? Thank you so much. God bless. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next family discussion.